Good. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm the pastor here. I'm so glad to see all these smiling faces uh, behind masks. I'm assuming you're smiling. Uh, and I'm also excited that you guys, like, it feels like the way we've set up the room, it feels like the person we're most worried about having COVID is me. Like, we've, we've made sure that there's a large step, like, no one is sitting up front. So I appreciate you guys distancing from me alone. Uh, this morning, uh, but we're glad that you guys are here. Happy Easter. I do feel like I've got two years of pent-up resurrection excitement inside of me because last year at this time, we were watching online and we were at home uh, and there was all this craziness going on uh, and I'm just excited. There was basketball on TV last night. Anybody see that game? You guys are so disappointing. <laughs> at least you love Jesus. Uh, it, 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 this week was April Fool's, right? Uh, and I don't know if any of you have kids that go a little overboard uh, with April Fool's. A friend of mine said he had to set some really strong ground rules this year because last year there was some urinating in a bed, uh, and he said his kids just took it way too far. But April Fool's was just this week, and it was funny because on that day, I just don't, I naturally don't trust anything that anybody tells me. Is anybody else like this? Like, I'm naturally skeptical of everything. So anytime anybody gives me some kind of news, I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's probably not true. All right, anytime I read something on social media, it's the only time of the year where we actually read things on social media and check out whether they're true or not is on April Fool's. And so on April Fool's, I, there's, there's all these messages online. I, I read one message, and I'm a huge basketball fan. I love basketball. If you go here, you guys know that, but, but I love basketball, and so th there was this news heading, and it looked like an ESPN headline, and it said, three of the four final four teams get COVID, and I was like, oh no, this is the worst, like we cannot go without, with another canceled final four, and I'm, I'm stressing out, I'm worried about it, and then I look it up and do my research and find out it's just an April Fool's uh, joke. Another news that came out on April 1st, which I don't know why you would choose to announce your retirement on April Fool's Day, uh, but Roy Williams, the head coach of North Carolina, decided to announce that he's retiring from basketball. And so I get a text from my friend Ryan that's like, hey, did you see this guy's retiring? And I was like, it's not true. It's April Fool's. It's just a joke. And then it was true. He, he did decide to retire on that day. And, and, and here's the thing. Um, there's something that's so important about us getting the story right and April Fool's kind of reminds us that getting the story right even matters, even when it's silly things in basketball. And so I want to talk today about the story of the Bible. And I want to talk today about the story of Jesus and his life. Uh, and I want to make sure that we get the story right, because I think there's some distortions in the way that we tell the story of Jesus. I think there's many ways that we distort the story of Jesus and the story of the Bible, and we misunderstand and misinterpret what Scripture says, uh, but, but there's a lot of them that really matter, and they matter because this is what my neighbors believe that I believe. This is what they think that I actually believe, and so today on Easter, I think the best thing that I can possibly do for the church is help us to see Jesus with clarity. As I was praying about what do I want to bring on Easter Sunday, because Easter Sunday, you kind of got to bring a good message, right? You don't kind of rehash something you did six months ago that didn't work very well. Uh, you got you to gotta bring new stuff. It's got to be good, and, and it's got to be fresh. And so as I was praying about it and thinking about it, I just had this really strong sense that my job today is just to make Jesus clear. 
just to bring clarity on who Jesus is and what he did and why the life that he invites us into is actually beautiful. Uh, so, so here's the story that oftentimes we believe. It's this idea that, uh, this is us, we're smiling because it's Easter, we live here on earth. Uh, more particularly, like our gospel story oftentimes focuses not just on earth, but on America, right? We were born on earth, we were born in America, and we live our life, this is our life here. And then at the end of our life, God shows up. Here's where God enters into the story. And God is kind of this angry, retributive judge who kind of looks at our life and says, all right, did you live your life above the line or below the line of holiness? All right, how, how, how good were you on earth? Did your good things outweigh your bad things? And, and did you live a good life? Did you live a happy life? So we spend our whole life walking this tightrope, trying to stay above the line of doing good things rather than bad things. And then God shows up and he does one of two things. He either sends us to heaven if we agree with him and are holy, and says, all right, you get to go to heaven. And heaven is this place where there's angels and harps and gold streets and all of these kinds of things, or I'm going to send you to hell. And hell is like God's torture chamber for people that don't agree with him and didn't live a good life. And this is what people think that I believe. Some of you out there might be saying, this is actually what I believe. And here's what I wanna say to you today. I love you, but there's a lot of problems with this story. There's a lot of half-truths in this story. And the biggest problem with this story is this, it's the Bible. The biggest problem with this story is the life of Jesus and the life that he lived. The biggest problem with this story is that if we're living the wrong story, then there's, there's trouble everywhere. And so today, I want to dive into why this is the wrong story, how this is the wrong story, and I want to give us clarity on the picture of why I believe that this, the real story is actually good news. The real story is actually beautiful news, because I don't care to give my life to this story. I'm not excited about being a pastor living this story out in the world. I wouldn't sacrifice what I sacrificed to be a minister of the gospel because I'm excited about this story. If we get this story wrong, we're not excited about Jesus. We're not excited about the resurrection. Jesus didn't die for this story. Can I get an amen? All right, this is not the story. But I believe the real story, the true story, right? The real story of God is beautiful. It's compelling. It's what we all want to give our lives to. It, and I don't care if you grew up in the church and have been in the church every single day since you were in the womb, or if you've never been to church before in your life, this story is beautiful and compelling, and it's for everybody. And it starts uh, at the beginning. Let's actually start at the beginning of the gospel. So when the, 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 the Bible uses the word gospel, the gospel means good news, and so the start of the good news begins in Mark chapter one, verse one, and it says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So let me ask you a question. Who is the beginning of the good news about? Right, so it's not, I mean, as, as cool as I am here, and as happy as I am to be walking that tightrope, the beginning of the story begins 
with Jesus, the Son of God. Verse two, it says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Now Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament at the time of the exile. And at this time, Isaiah is a spokesperson for God who's sharing what God wants to share with the world. And he's sharing with them this idea of how God is fixing the problem that is in the world. The problem that is in the world is that we've been separated from God, is that there's brokenness in the world, is that there's sin in the world, it's that hell and injustice and pain and woundedness and brokenness has entered into the place that God never wanted it to enter into. Verse two, it says, as it is written by Isaiah the prophet, behold, I will send a messenger before your face. I love that. It's like God's getting all right up in your face, right? He doesn't, it's like, not, I've sent a messenger who's gonna drop something off in your mailbox. I'm putting a messenger in your face. And in Easter, Jesus is in our face. Praise God, right? I'm gonna put a messenger before your, your face who will prepare the way and will be a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight his paths. So this is a message that's going to God's people who have been kicked out of Israel and have gone into captivity, and the message is, I am going to set things right. We believe the Bible is the story of God putting his family back together again through his son Jesus, and we believe it's incredibly good news. And so this is what Isaiah is saying. I am preparing a way. It is Jesus who has entered in the world. He is the story. The story's about him. The story's about God. And in this place, I am putting my family back together again through Jesus. Skip ahead in Mark. Mark chapter one, verse 14. It says this. Now, after John was arrested, it's John the Baptist, who is another person who was proclaiming the way of the Lord, naming that Jesus is coming. After he was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. What is the gospel of God? This is the first time we get access to it. This is the clearest picture. If we're asking the question, what is the good news? What is the gospel? This is what it says. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in this good news. So what's the good news? It's that the time has come. It's that the kingdom of God is here again. Now, when we go back in the story of God, we realize that the kingdom of God was most lived out in the garden. The garden was the place that God created for us to live with him, to walk with him, to be with him. At the very beginning of time, we were created to be with God in the garden. And so what God is saying is the kingdom of God is back. It's returning. It's here again. And, and, and so here's where we get into the half-truths. Like if we understand that this is the good news, that this is the gospel, then we start to realize that this story is full of half-truths, right? The first thing is that the story of the Bible is not about me going somewhere, it's about God coming here. The story of the Bible, the main character of the story is not me, it's not Earth, it's not America. The main story, character in the Bible is who? It's God, it's Jesus. Uh, the Bible focuses not just on my behavior, but it focuses far more on God's behavior, on what God's doing on our behalf, on how God's working over and over again. And God is involved every day of my life, not just at this one turning point, inflection point, at the end of my life when I die. And God is putting his family back together again through Jesus, and he's restoring his kingdom and actually believes, this is really good, that his kingdom can restore everything that is broken in the world. So what's broken in our world? 
Like, tell, like shout it out. What are some things in our world right now that are broken? We're, we don't have very many people in here, so we're gonna get some participation. What's broken in the world right now? Well, let's get more specific than everything, because not everything's broken. Relationships are broken, yes. What else? Racism, yes. Government, yes. Families, yes. Communities, right. There's so, like, we could go down specific lists of things that we say, like, this is broken. This is not the world as it should be, right? Like, I don't think we have a lot of pro-sex trafficking people in here. Sex trafficking is not the way the world should be. I don't think we have a lot of pro-racism people in here. Racism is not the way the world should be. There's all of these places in the world where the world is not as it should be. And so the story of God is Jesus showing up and restoring his kingdom and putting things back together again. Not Jesus calling us to go somewhere else, but him showing up here. And so I wanna talk about heaven and earth. And much of this is taken from a guy named Tim Mackey. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Bible Project, but he does these brilliant drawings uh, and these kind of pictures of what scripture looks like and, and what everything looks like. So in Genesis chapter one, verse one, the very first verse of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. Those are not perfect circles. That's all right, though. You're going you're gonna to bear with me. He creates the heavens. We'll, put, we'll, we'll call this one heaven. And, and it's kind of good that earth is misshaped because we're kind of jacked up anyway, right? So he creates the heavens and he creates the earth. And, and the heavens is the garden. This is where everything began. We created this place at the very beginning where we were with God, where we walked with God in the cool of the evening, where we had divine union, where we were united with God and with one another. All of the brokenness and all of the things that we named that are broken in our world now were not broken in the garden. It's the way things are supposed to be. It's the way that the world is supposed to be. And Adam and Eve decided they wanted to go their own way. They decided they wanted to live outside of that union with God. They decided they want to live in a different place. And so they, they, were move, they were removed from the garden and moved into this place called earth. And in this place, God, who loves us so much, C.S. Lewis says this, God is relentlessly committed to letting humans choose our own way. He says, God is always caring about the dignity of every human being and the right to make their own decisions. And so when we say we don't wanna be in this place, God allows us to go to another place. Does that make sense? Right? When we say we don't wanna live here, God allows us to do what we want to do in those places. But at this point, heaven and earth are separated. And so God has a problem because God wants heaven and earth united. He wants his kingdom to come here on earth, and he wants it to rule and reign here on earth. When we pray, with the Lord's Prayer, remember what we pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pointed to it, guys, you can say it. Right? Even with the mask, you can say it. Right? On earth as it is in heaven. Right? There's this picture of what God wants to do, it's like a marvel story, right? What he wants to do is he wants to bring these two universes together, right? It's like there's an alternative universe plot going on here in the world right now, um, but it's, it's not that complicated. He wants to bring heaven to earth. 
And so in the Old Testament, they start trying all of these things to bring heaven to earth because in heaven, everything is good, right? In heaven, I'm, I'm drawing blue for good, right? Blue is good. There's, and in heaven, there is justice. There is right relationships. There is good. There is grace. There is mercy. There are all these different things. But on earth, there is brokenness. On earth, there is ugliness. On earth, there is sin. On earth, there is still injustice. On earth, there is still death. On earth, there is pain. On earth, there is brokenness, especially in 2020 and 2021, right? Like this year has shown us that earth is not as it should be. Like I'll give you a sign of why the world is broken. We're wearing masks right now. It's a sign that the world is broken. I'll give you a sign that the world is not as it should be. We've argued about masks for the last two years, and I've had to referee it, right? There's all of these signs that show that the world, that the earth is not what it should be. So, so here's what God does. God says, here's what he does first. First he says, I'm going to build a temple. This is my temple. I'm, I'm not a very good drawer, right? But that's the temple. It's, it's, it's the church. And so in the Old Testament, he creates the temple or the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is believed to be the dwelling place of God. It's where God lives. It's where God hangs out. It's where God watches the final four, right? He hangs out in the temple or in the tabernacle. And in this place, what happens is there's a central place in the tabernacle that is called the Holy of Holies. And that's the actual place where God Dwells. And so God gives all of these instructions to the people of God, Israel, on how to build the temple or the tabernacle, and they have all of these instructions about how they get to God. And so the way that they get to God is they have to come to the temple, they have to enter in, and the temple is designed like what? It's designed like the garden. There's actually garden space in and out of it. The design that's set up around it is set up to look like and be like and feel like the garden. And so there's this kind of liminal space in between heaven and earth that is the temple. And you can meet God in the temple, which is great, right? Except we all don't live in Jerusalem. So it's not so great for us. Because the only way we, like if this is still the process now, the only way we get access to the Father, the only way we get access to God is if we fly to Jerusalem and go to a specific temple. And I bet that temple would be really popular. I bet the lines are really long, and I bet it's hard to get in and out, right? And there's flying restrictions right now, right? So that makes it tough. So here's what they do next. He says, we're not just going to do the temple because there's still this problem, because there's still this all of this earth that is covered in sin and brokenness and pain. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna create another system. And, and oh man, this is gonna be a bad drawing. Can you see what that is? That's supposed to be a lamb, right? Is that, are you guys impressed with my drawing yet? I, I, there's a reason why I'm a pastor and not, uh, not a drawing, not a drawer. Uh, the, here, here's what they did. They created a day. It's called the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, all of the people of God would come together and they would gather at the temple. And at the temple, they would bring a perfect lamb, a lamb without blemish. I don't know what that means because I'm not a farmer, but I'm guessing it meant like he's, he's not too chubby, he's not too skinny, he doesn't have some kind of disease. Like you bring your best lamb, like the one that's perfect lamb that would make good lunch on Easter Sunday, right? That's the one that you bring. And so they would bring this perfect lamb on the Day of Atonement. They would sacrifice this lamb. They would kill it out in front of the temple, which is really weird, 
right? Imagine that we did that before we came in today on Sunday. Like, hey, everybody, before you come on Easter Sunday, we got some buckets out there and some machetes, and Frankie's gonna be out there helping you, and if you wanna chop up your lambs, and we're gonna, we're gonna get a grill going afterwards, it's gonna be amazing, but we're gonna set, like, that's awkward, correct? It's weird. And so the belief was that when the lamb was slain, the perfect lamb was killed, that what would happen was the people of God would be clean, and so it would kind of wipe out. Do we have an eraser here? It's back here. So as the lamb was slain, it would kind of wipe out some of the sin, and this circle would get a little bigger. But the problem was the people just had to keep coming back and killing lambs. There's only one place to do it, and there's this, I think one of the reasons they change this is because it's just a mess, right? This is just messy, right? Nobody wants to clean up after all of that. There was like some pastor who's like, we gotta, Lord, please, we gotta come up with a better method because I'm the one that every week has to clean up the 8,000 sacrifices that happened this morning, right? This is, this is gross and it's old and there's these old methods that are all into action here that kind of only work for people who live in Jerusalem. But remember, God is still at work and he's putting his family back together again through Jesus. And in John chapter one, verse 14, this is where it starts to get good. Are you, are you still with me? Because I'm doing a lot of Bible stuff, but this is where it starts to get good. John chapter one, verse 14, it says, John, it says that God made himself fully human and he made his dwelling among us. You know what that word made his dwelling among us means? It means tabernacle. It means that God sent Jesus to tabernacle with us. So if I'm an Old Testament person and I hear that phrase, what do I think of? I think of this. That's incredibly good news. God is putting his family back together again through Jesus and Jesus has come to become the tabernacle for us so that I don't have to go to the temple in Jerusalem. In fact, when Jesus dies on Good Friday, what happens to the veil of the temple? It's torn. The space that separates the people from God, that separates the holy of holies. Like in the holy of holies, like the only the really holy people get access there, right? So if you've got like a criminal record, you're out. If you've been having trouble with your marriage, you're out. If you didn't eat the right things that week, you're out. If you didn't do the right things that week, and there's this giant temple veil that's there. When Jesus dies, the veil is ripped in two and destroyed, and what they're saying is there's a new tabernacle. Good news, right? Let's keep going. It, go, keep going in John chapter one. In John chapter one, verse 29, John the Baptist is getting ready to baptize Jesus. Jesus is coming into the water to be baptized, and remember what John says about Jesus. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who's come to what? To take away the sins of the world. Woo, we're getting good now. Are you with me? Behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the earth. And so there's this picture that Jesus is not just the tabernacle, he's also the perfect Lamb. And what Jesus does is he comes to earth, and if you read the Gospels, he lives a perfect life. He doesn't make any mistakes. He doesn't step out of God's place. He doesn't play this game. He lives in this space of heaven, but he does it here on earth. As if he was in heaven. And then here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. What Jesus does is Jesus starts walking around earth, and he starts creating pockets of heaven on earth. Right? So, 
So Jesus uh, comes across this guy named Bartimaeus who's blind. And he says, Bartimaeus, you're healed. And he can see because that's the way things are supposed to be in heaven. And he creates a pocket of heaven here on earth. And then he, he, he comes across someone who is caught in adultery, this woman that's caught in adultery. And everybody wants to kill her. Everybody wants to stone her, which is this part of the story, right? And he says, no, 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 no. Your sins are forgiven. And he creates a pocket of heaven. And then he comes across this man who's demon-possessed. Demon-possessed means he's carrying in his body all the things that are broken in the world, all the sin, all the injustice, all the brokenness. His name is actually Legion because there's so much brokenness and sin and pain and woundedness inside of him. And you know what Jesus does? It says Jesus looked on him with compassion. And he created another pocket of heaven as he cast the demons out of him. What Jesus does over and over and over again he brings heaven to earth. He's bringing these two worlds together. And now the picture that sits in between heaven and earth is not the picture of a lamb or a tabernacle. It's a picture of the cross. Can I get an amen? But here's what happens. The story, this would be great if the story just ended there. The problem is, is that the powers of this earth don't like the powers of heaven. There are powers in this earth that are evil and that are broken and that are painful and that are wounding and that like to live that way, that like to live in the power of the empire. And so what the earth did to Jesus, and listen, I don't care what you think about Christians because we got a lot of bad ones, right? Like you could give me an amen for that one because there's a lot of them, right? But I've yet to meet someone who doesn't like Jesus. If you really study the life of Jesus, if you really look at what he did and how he lived and who he was, he's irresistible to the world. And I don't care who you are. Like even people who don't believe in Jesus say this, I, I, I love your Jesus, I just don't love your Christians. Could that be because we're living the wrong story? And if we've committed ourselves to this story instead of this story, there's a reason why our Christians look so unlike Christ. Because we've committed ourselves to the wrong story. And so Jesus came, he walked, he was the perfect lamb, he was the perfect sacrifice, but the powers of the earth did what? They killed him. They crucified an innocent man. They mocked him. They tortured him. They drove nails into his feet and nails into his hands. And they killed him. But then we realize that the cross actually becomes the space that brings heaven to earth. And the invitation for us is to join Jesus there. It's not just about right here and right now. It's not just about when I die making things right again. It's this picture of God is making things right over and over again. And he's doing it through us, his people, his church. We are the ambassadors of what? of a new kingdom that is moving in and creating pockets here on earth. And so we become the ones who create the pockets of heaven here on earth now. Jesus brings his new kingdom. And here's this beautiful thing. At the end of the book of Revelation, the very end of the Bible, we've walked through the whole Bible now, right? As you get to the very end, God starts talking about a new city. There's a new city that's coming. And when that new city comes, what's going to happen is that new city is going to come 
and it's going to take over. And that old city is going to be overwhelmed by the powers of heaven that come over inside of it. And this new city is God putting everything right. It's him putting things back to the way that they were supposed to be. Because God hates sin, and he hates death, and he hates pain, and he hates brokenness. At the very beginning of the Bible, it says God created the heavens and the earth. What's on here that he didn't create? Hell. God hates hell. He hates it. And, and you could make an argument, you could make a case that hell is the existence that we live here on earth. That it's the matter of living into the pain and the brokenness and all of these different things. So uh, let's, just, let's just take some real simple things. We've already talked about some of these things. We all in this room believe sex trafficking is wrong. Right? And sex trafficking is actually a, a, a word that we use to make it more tangible for us because it's actually more disgusting than, it, than, than what it sounds like. We can all say we believe that that is wrong. Sexually abusing and selling children is wrong. And we hate it and we want it gone. We want that out of our earth. Are you, can I get an amen? But here's the thing. God hates it more than we do. Jesus hates it more than we do. In fact, Jesus came, and when Jesus taught, he said, here's what I want to happen. I, I, I want sex trafficking out, but I actually want every heart to be free of lust. Because what I want to do is I want to go to the root of the problem. And I don't just want to get sin out of the world. I want to get sin out of you. I want to get sin out of my creation. I don't want to just make communities right. I want to make individuals right. I don't just want to fix these big problems, right? God hates racism. We hate racism. We want racism out of this world. We don't want it to be in our community anymore. I've been praying for years that God would get racism out of Cobb County. Are you with me? We've been praying for years that God would get racism out of this place. But Jesus takes it a step further. He says, I don't just want racism out, I want pride and anger and hatred. I want all of those things that don't just exist in the systems, but exist in us out as well, because I'm not just transforming the system, I'm transforming you. Here's the crazy thing. God doesn't just want to get sin out of this world. He wants to get it out of me. And that's hard. But depending on which story you believe, it's good news. Because if this is the story you believe, then God is standing here with an M16 ready to torture me. That doesn't feel like good news to me. But if this is the story, then God is like a surgeon who's coming to take the very thing out of me that's going to kill me. And that's good the very thing that is destroying our world and destroying the earth, God wants to get it out of us. And surgery's never easy, surgery's never fun, surgery's never great, but we go through it because we want to live. And so what he's doing is, I'm the surgeon, I've come to, 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 to make everything right. And so here's the story of God. God wants to get the hell out of earth. And he wants to get the hell out of us. And he wants to make us right. And he does that because he is the lamb who absorbs the sin of the world. He wants to fill the world with something else. He wants these two worlds to collide. 
And he wants us to become the people who actually create pockets of heaven on earth where we're doing good things that transform our communities, that transform lives, that change lives. He wants to fill the world with something new, with love and with mercy and with grace and all of the injustice and sin and brokenness and pain that's here. He wants it out because he wants to create a new kingdom. And so this new city has come. And hell is real. And hell exists outside of this new city. It exists over here. But God doesn't send us there because he's angry with us. He sends us there because he respects our dignity to be able to choose whether we want to choose to be with him or not. And if we choose to be outside of his presence, that option's available to us. It's available to every human being that's ever walked the earth. It's possible for us. And there's a lot of questions in here that I don't know. There's a lot of things that I wish the Bible would tell us about hell and about heaven that is really unclear. Anytime the Bible talks about heaven and hell, you know what it talks about? It's, it's like. There's not even specifics that it can give on it. But here's, what, here's the good news, and this is what we believe here at Grace Marietta, is that Jesus is so committed to us being with him and to living a sin-free existence that he goes to the length of the cross to create people who will make earth like heaven. And he asks us to go and do the same. So we believe here in G at Grace Marietta that Jesus lived for you. We believe that Jesus died for you. And we believe that he rose again. And we believe that Jesus initiated a new kingdom, heaven on earth, that he's invited us to be a part of. And every single one of us here are invited into God's redemption plan for the world. God is putting his family back together again through Jesus. He's creating pockets of heaven on earth, and we get a chance to be a part of it. So we've been looking at the last words of Jesus. We looked at the seven phrases that Jesus said on the cross right before he died. But Easter means those words are not the last words that Jesus said, right? That they're words, and they're important words, and we need to pay attention to what Christ said on the cross, but they're not the last thing that he says. So Jesus shows up again. His last words on the cross are, it is finished, and into my hands I commit thy spirit. But then he shows up again on Easter Sunday. He comes up out of the grave, victoring over death, which means that we can receive victory over death as well. And he speaks many words. His first post-resurrection saying, he says, why are you crying, and who are you looking for? He says that to Mary at the tomb. The second, he says, greetings, don't be afraid. He says that again to Mary. His third resurrection saying is, what are you so concerned about? He says that to Cleopas and one of the disciples. His fourth, he says, peace be with you, as he shows up and appears to the 11 and the Thomas. His fifth, he says, go into the world, as he says it to the 11. The sixth, he says, have you caught any fish, as he's talking to his disciples. His seventh, he says, wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit that is coming. But I want to focus on the very, very last words of Jesus. It's in Matthew chapter 28. It's the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And we've been saying over the last few years, the last words are the most important, right? The last things that you say are the ones that matter the most. And so when Jesus says these last words, what it's called is the Great Commission. A study came out last week that said 75% of church people don't know what the Great Commission is. This is the Great Commission. It's the last words of Jesus, and I want you to look at how beautiful these instructions are inside of this story, okay? They're not that beautiful inside of this story. 
inside of this story, whoo, they're amazing. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, I love this. It says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to a mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Then they saw him and they worshiped him, but some doubted. I love that. There's, there's, some of the guys were like, eh, I'm not sure yet. They watched him die. <laughs> they watched him die on the cross. He's standing in front of them right now, and they're like, I don't know. It might be one of those illusions kind of thing. It might be a lookalike, right? One of those Jesus lookalike. I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking. He's about to ascend to heaven. So I'm thinking that might change some of their minds, but we'll see what happens. But I love it that even at this moment, there's some that are like, eh, I'm not real sure. Verse 18, then Jesus said to them, listen to this, this is amazing. All authority has been given to me where? In heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. So therefore, go. Where's he telling us to go? Into the earth. Go into the earth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Create these pockets of heaven on earth and start with the people you love. In one of the other versions, it says, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It says there's this plan. Here's the plan. We're going to start where we are. We're going to expand from there. We're going to go out until the whole world is changed by this gospel, by this good news, by this announcement of the kingdom and the people of God are going to be the people who go into the world and create pockets of heaven on earth. They create pockets of goodness and love and mercy and grace and kindness in this world over and over and over again. And listen to what he says, this is so good. And surely I will be with you. Where was God with us where we had most communion with him? It was in the garden. Surely I will be with you even to the ends of the age. My presence will be with you. Divine union, communion, togetherness, the way things were at the very beginning as it should be, I'm going to do it again. And this new city of God is coming. And this new city of God is not just coming to our world. It's not just coming to our earth. It's coming to Cobb County. And we get to be the people who become the ambassadors and the spreaders of this good news. Can I get an amen? I will give my life to this story. I'll give every last drop I have to this story because it's good and it's beautiful and it's what the Bible teaches us and it's what the life of Jesus shares with us. I wanna go, I want you to go, I want you to spread, I want you to, to do all of these things and I will be with you. There's this beautiful invitation and this story matters. It's why at Grace Marietta we're recklessly committed to going and getting outside the walls of the church and creating these pockets of heaven. I don't know if you've ever been in a place, the Celts call it a thin place. I don't know if you've ever been any moment in your life, we've all experienced them, where it feels like heaven and earth are really close. Have you ever been there? Like it just feels like this is a holy moment. This is a beautiful moment. The, the day my children were born like this holy moment of like, I don't know how to explain this. It's this beautiful child that I love and would do anything for. Like there's these moments that we have. We were at a friend's house Thursday night and we were doing a Monday Thursday service and we were all in this circle praying for one another and encouraging one another and I just thought like, this is what heaven's like. I was having a meal with my kids the other night and we were all at the table and I have two and a half teenagers right now and they were all happy. And I thought, this is what heaven's like. 
right? They were all full of joy for a minute. And I thought, this is what heaven's like. Like, there's these moments where it feels like the, play, the space between heaven and earth is thin. And that's what we want to create. By God's power and by God's authority, we want to go. And we want to be the people who go into all the areas of our community taking this new kingdom, being heralds or ambassadors or declarers of the new kingdom. And it begins with me. I was talking to a pastor the other day and she said, she said, this year has felt like hell. Right? <laughs> all the sin and all the death and all the brokenness and all the pain and all the hurts. And she said, I've lost loved ones. She got fired from her job because she spoke out about racism, told the truth to her church that racism is a biblical issue and not a political issue. Lost her job. Lost friends along the way. Her church completely abandoned her. Nobody hung out with her anymore. Nobody spent time with her. Parents died, both of them, over for, from COVID. She said, this year's felt like hell. And I don't know what to do. And I don't know what else to say in those moments than to say the only answer I have is Jesus. And I can't help but imagine that there's people in here today who this year has felt like hell to you. But here's the good news. Jesus wants to get the hell out of earth. And he wants to get the hell out of you. And he's good. And this story is the most beautiful story that I've ever heard. And there's an invitation for you today on Easter Sunday to be a part of this story. And so the band's going to sing and kind of wrap us up this morning. And as they do, we've got a prayer team in the back that's going to be back there to pray with anybody that wants to pray. If you want to know more about what this relationship with the Father looks like, about what a relationship with Jesus looks like, if you want to know more about how do I become someone that brings pockets of heaven into this earth, we want to invite you to be a part of our church because that's what we're trying to do. Every week, we're trying to go and love our communities. Every week, we're trying to take away some of the pain and some of the sting of this world. We collect water and food for people that don't have water and food. We pay the rent for people who can't pay their rent. We stand beside at-risk kids or kids that don't have parents, and we say, we'll be your stand-in parents. And over and over again, we try and go into these spaces create a new space. And our prayer is that a day is coming where that new city will take over and that all the pain and brokenness and sin of this earth will be gone and we will get to stand in the presence of God with unveiled faces and see him in all of his glory. But until then, we keep living as if every day is Easter. We keep living as if Jesus is the answer and we keep spreading that hope. So Douglas is in the back. He would love to pray with you if you want to pray. We might need to get some more prayer folks back there. Uh, we're also, the baptism is, pool is open. In that great commission, he says, go, and then he says, and baptize. You know what baptize means? It means clean, right? It's creating a clean pocket here on earth, but he starts with us. And so we go through this ritual, this kind of ritual. We go underwater, and, and as we go underwater, it's just symbolic of we've been cleaned, we've been cleansed. And if you want to be baptized today, there's this moment in the New Testament where the, there's, a, there's an Ethiopian eunuch who wants to be baptized, and the, and the disciple says, I, I see water. So we got water right back there. And if you want to be baptized, we got T-shirts. We'll, we'll take care of you. 
if you want to be baptized, we'll do it today, and we'll celebrate, and let's make Easter Sunday a celebration. Um, but praise be to God for his son Jesus. Praise be to God that he lived for us, that he died for us, and that he asked us to live with him every moment of every day. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be your ambassadors, that we would live for your kingdom, that we would go into all the world changing the world and creating pockets of heaven. I thank you that today Easter is the announcement that you are the answer and that you are good. And so be with us today. Thank you for making things new when they need to be new. Thank you for making things right when they need to be right. Thank you for loving us even when we are unlovable. While we were still sinners, while we are still broken, you love us and you invite us in. So I pray that you would teach us to love you and serve you. It's in your name we pray.